You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present our program, Carmelite Conversations, with Mark Dennis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Francis and I are continuing a two-part series on the important role of silence in our contemplative prayer life. And I say life specifically because it isn't just our contemplative prayer that silence plays a role, but as we discussed last week, and I encourage you to, when it's available, go and listen to that uh, particular program. I think it'll be beneficial, even if you're listening to this one today. Uh, still uh, um, go back and listen to that. They do stand alone, the, the two um, individual programs. But I say life because it isn't just silence in our prayer. It's also silence that must be practiced in our life, in our day-to-day activities, especially now with so many things that try to influence and distract us and overwhelm our silence. And I mean by that the deeper meaning of silence, which we're going to discuss today. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to remain silent without, without saying hello to my uh, co-host here in studio. Francis, how are you? I'm feeling very blessed. I'm glad to be a part of this conversation with you, speaking on silence and there's a lot to share. <laughs> Ironically, there we're going to speak. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to be silent. Well, we started last week in a conversation about um, the distinction between sort of the objective, I might even use the word academic understanding of silence. And we accepted the fact, though, we went through a lengthy list of 12 uh, items that are uh, descriptive of what silence is necessary for effective prayer and management of our life. That list came from Sister Marie Amy of Jesus, a Carmelite from Paris, drawn largely from, she acknowledges, the rule of St. Benedict, uh, in fact, his degrees of humility, and also from the writings of the Desert Fathers. But I should have made clear that that was uh, the source of that, was a Carmelite from Paris, Sister Marie Amy of Jesus. And the Twelve Degrees of Silence. There's yes. a book by her under that title. Yeah. Um, and you did you get to put that on the I'm going resources? to. Okay. I'm a little behind, but okay. everybody will be patient with me, won't they? I didn't they? mean to put you on the spot there. I, <laughs> I knew right. you had said that with regard to the resources. I wasn't sure which ones. Um, but listen, before we begin our conversation on silence, we're going to do as we do each week and bring our Lord into this conversation first and foremost through our prayer. Francis, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, and I picked this one because um, when we speak of being silent, it's when we are silent that we may listen. And do you know silent and listen have the same letters in those two words? Yeah. The same letters. <laughs> it's just one of those things I like to remember. But anyway, this comes from, um, it's an excerpt from the famous prayer to the Trinity by Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, who Beyond guard, she's going to be made a saint soon. It's going to be announced any day now. So um, I'm, I'm just excited about that. So this is from her famous prayer. It's the, the third paragraph of that prayer, but it speaks to this um, silent and listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O eternal word, word of God, I want to spend my life in listening to you. To become wholly teachable, that I may learn all from you. Then, through all nights, all voids, all helplessness, I want to gaze on you always and remain in your great light. O my beloved star, so fascinate me that I may not withdraw from your radiance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Yeah, I cannot advocate enough that prayer, by the way, the famous prayer of uh, now Blessed Elizabeth, soon to be St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. In November, actually, she'll be canonized. That's the official date. Oh, it It'll was be announced. In November. I missed yeah. it. <laughs> Uh, and um, we uh, certainly look forward to that with great anticipation. But her prayer, uh, which was the favorite, by the way, one of the favorites of a saint, Pope John Paul II, he is actually the one who elevated her to blessed. Um, it is a famous uh, Carmelite prayer, and I would argue a famous prayer for the church and encourage uh, any of our listeners to try to get a hold of a copy of it. You can just uh, type it in, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity's Prayer to the Trinity on uh, any of your search engines, and it will come up. And it's interesting that we start that way because we are going to return to the discussion that we had last week where we distinguished between the more... Uh, as we described it, objective academic explanations of silence where we know language fails us and the poetic expressions that are so often uh, offered as a way of helping us enter into prayer. Now, Francis and I had a conversation some months ago, I think it was now, Francis, on this idea of um, poetry and why are so many of the Carmelites, especially poets, St. John of the Cross, arguably um, one of the most renowned poets, not just of religious poetry, but in Spain of love poetry, uh, St. Teresa, um, uh, St. Therese, Blessed Elizabeth, all of the Carmelites whom I am familiar with have had uh, some exposure to uh, writing poetry. And so we're going to explore that in the context of prayer. And your poetry comes out, Mark, when you said this, and and I have it written down here because it really struck me. Poetic expression can come to our aid and serve as a gentle breeze to help propel the sails of our souls to the shore of silence. I mean, that is so beautiful. <laughs> so I had to make sure we spoke that. <laughs> well, thank you. It was my feeble attempt to uh, introduce a poetic, um, uh, I guess, context to this part of our discussion here. So um, it, it is, though, I think true. Uh, poetry can carry us along in ways that narrative, uh, typical uh, straightforward writing, if you will, may not be able to do. Um, and And what we mean by this is, Uh, Poetry allows us to enter in. It offers imagery. It offers the imagination something to feed on. And so oftentimes it can lift and elevate us and carry us along uh, much more effectively than simple uh, sort of dogmatic explanation or academic writing. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week, and I just want to touch on it quickly, it will be a repeat for those who have already heard last week's program, but is this idea of the... Um, Holy Spirit coming to our aid in prayer. We understand in our silence, when we become silent, we're able to silence all of the uh, 12 degrees, actually, that we discussed last week. And when we're able to silence all those elements, then the Holy Spirit can truly come to our aid. And of course, um, Scripture reminds us of this, Francis, doesn't it? Romans eight twenty six. Uh, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Too deep for words. This is beyond, uh, if you will, the the mind's capacity for engaging in in the uh, dialogue that we so often talk about uh, in prayer. 
This is now prayer at a very deep spiritual level. And our soon-to-be saint, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, actually had a, a verse that described in some detail what she meant, and in fact, I believe, experienced uh, by this uh, phenomenon of the Holy Spirit taking over Francis. Would you mind reading that for us? Right. It comes from her reflections entitled Heaven and Faith. The capacity of the soul, enlarged by the coming of the Master, seems to go out of itself in order to pass through the walls into the immensity of him who comes. And a phenomenon occurs. God, who is in our depths, receives God coming into us. And God contemplates God, God in whom beatitude consists. Now, in fairness, we could uh, reread that, and perhaps we will hear Francis, before our conversation is over. But you could meditate on that simple verse, I think uh, perhaps two or three sentences in total, um, for an hour and, and just try to understand all of what is meant here. And this is one of the reasons I'm so taken with Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity is the depth. Her writing, her volume of writing is actually quite limited, far less than uh, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, even of St. Therese of Lisieux. But the power of her writing, the um, the amount of um, you know, sort of material that she can deliver in a couple of sentences is very powerful. And that's what I mean by poetic expression. She was, like you, Francis, she was a gifted musician. And so she understood rhythm and she understood how these patterns that underlie poetic expression uh, can get into us, so to speak. And then she also had a great command of the French language, which of course, we're reading in English, but there are many great translations of both her writing as well as of her poetry. Her poetic um, writings were actually quite considerable. But we want to talk today uh, not just about Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity's uh, poetic expressions when it regards silence, but also St. Mary of Jesus crucified. And Francis, you introduced uh, me to this when we had our last uh, formation meeting, and I had not... Um, uh, been exposed to these uh, various ways that she describes silence. Of course, she got this from our Lord himself. I'll let you tell the story and then perhaps uh, begin reading these poetic expressions from her. Well, this actually comes from a book called Thoughts, um, and it's the thoughts of St. Mary of Jesus crucified. It's actually hard to get a hold of nowadays. But um, in it, there is a, a category called silence, and under it, models of silence. And she writes... Um, or people transcribed for her because she was pretty illiterate. Jesus gave me five ways of practicing silence. And, and this is when she was in an ecstasy and the sisters would be writing down everything that she said. So um, we have five categories of this and we want to introduce those and speak about each one of them. You know, I sort of pushed you into the five categories without remembering that even um, before we came on today, I, I had... Uh, suggested that we might begin with the pre, uh, previous um, section in that very chapter, which is uh, silence, the, the title silence, where she gives the context for silence, which I, uh, I was not familiar with until you shared that with me last week. Now, of course, what you had shared in the poetic expressions was some a uh, couple of weeks ago. But this um, silence in context where the Lord shares with her 
um, what is meant by the depth of science. I think that's actually the best place for us to begin, if you don't mind uh, sharing some of that with us. All right. Um, the first section was keep silence and you will keep God. We could just take that to prayer. Keep <laughs> silence and you will keep God. If you keep silence, God will keep you. Why does the lamb get weakened? It is because it does not keep the silence. Silence is virginity. We have promised silence. She's talking about the nuns. If you keep the presence of God, God will keep you. But if you do not keep silence, he will not keep your soul. If you keep silence, you will keep humility, meekness, obedience, and patience. Do not be discouraged. Start again. And in ecstasy, she says, the Lord says, respect the time of silence. You have no need to think of your food and drink. I foresee everything. I ask but one thing. Think of me. I shall think of you. If you are vigilant, I shall be vigilant over you. That reminds me of St. Teresa of Avila saying, just look at him, you know. <laughs> He's looking at us all the time. All we have to do in prayer is look back. We don't have to speak. And here... He's saying, think of me, I shall think of you. Well, and I was thinking of the very first, or I guess, second line that you read, why does the lamb uh, get weakened? It mm -hmm. is because he, it, it does not keep silent. Of course, we know our Lord is the lamb of God. And we are told that even in the midst of the most horrendous experience a human could undergo, the crucifixion, he remained silent in the middle of that. Yes. We can well imagine he was praying. His silence was his expression of prayer. And so, yes, even in our most difficult times, in fact, I might even argue, Francis, that especially in our most difficult and challenging circumstances, in the most trying times of our life, then is when we must keep silent. What do we mean by silence? Again, we're going to get into poetic expressions of this beyond the objective 12 steps, if you will, that we talked about last week. But we have to understand both Francis and I and those who we are relying on will be inadequate. Our language is simply insufficient to communicate what we're talking about. I will tell you, though I'm not an expert on this, I can say it will only be discerned in prayer, in deep contemplative prayer. You will come to an understanding of what is meant by this word silence. It is not simply the absence of noise. In fact, I want to offer another just brief expression by uh, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, who talked about silence in the context also of solitude. And she said, I will not be a solitary unless those four emotions that St. John of the Cross talked about. Now, she didn't reference him specifically, but we will um, re remember the reference from St. John of the Cross. Unless my joy, my sorrow, my fear, and my hope are all centered on God, then I will not be a solitary. And by solitary here, she meant I will not be unified. I will not have unity in my own person. And therefore, I have nothing to offer to God. I know this gets into a little bit of a theological discussion, but she's talking about the need for stillness, interior silence, interior peace, unity of our spirit and our material being as represented in all of the emotions that can otherwise draw the human person out of that center of themselves, joy, fear, hope, sorrow, if those are not uh, continuously focused on God, then we will be drawn out of this deep interior silence. Well, my response to why does the lamb get weakened, um, because it does not keep the silence, and that is that 
you start letting in the other voices, the the temptations, the uh, personal uh, desires uh, that may be kind of blind. It might be spiritual pride, whatever. Uh, it might be the voices of the world beckoning you to do something that is, you know, um, not according to God's will. So when we start letting in these other voices, I mean, for example, I watched a movie this past weekend with my daughter. She was recovering from surgery and she wanted to watch this movie. And I was, I was aghast. This movie was awful. (laughs) Okay. This is going to be a good discussion point about what the world looks like without virtue, you know? And, um, and, after that movie was over, I guess it was a good exercise for me to see how my silence was stolen because of, of letting in that movie. And these images, these words kept coming through my mind through the night, and I had a terrible night, and I'm battling that off, and I'm like, I shouldn't have even, you know, past 10 minutes, we would we should have just stopped. Um, she's a college-age girl, so I'm trying to help her see. So I'm like, okay, this is a teaching moment, and so I'm pointing out things as we go through the movie. But it, it did. It robbed me of silence, and I permitted that to happen. So that's a good example of how the lamb can it's weakened, and I was. Yeah. I was weakened. Well, uh, friends, I'm going to ask you to continue this surveillance of the enemy, since you've sort of introduced how the enemy, whether it be the world or our ancient enemy, uh, likes to get in and mess things up a little bit. Um, this next section called Silence the Surveillance of the Enemy. If you are faithful, you will have a holy life and a holy death. God had ordered that the structure of the convent be circular so that it resembles a fort where one can keep watch and detect the enemy when he comes. Now, what she's referring to is the Carmel of Bethlehem, which was circular, um, uh, uh, and it's on the hill of David, where where David was uh, kinged, and um, and it is in circular uh, formation, and... um, so this is what she's talking about, watching for the enemies, you know, being on the watchtowers, looking out. Um, she goes on, silence must be kept if the approach of the enemy is to be heard. Ah, and so, uh, yes, if you're not silent, if you're caught up in the world, the enemy's disguised in all of the world, and you can't maybe even detect what's going on. So silence must be kept if the approach of the enemy is to be heard. Then she goes on. The Lord said, beloved sheep, begin in earnest and your shepherd will go before you. Be what the Lord asks you to be and nothing will happen to you even if the earth turns upside down. Behave like the bee, collect the honey and leave the rest. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And she's begun now this um, uh, entry into the poetic uh, description, the poetic imagery that she wants us to begin to focus on. Behave like the bee. Collect only what's important, only what matters for eternal life. Our treasures are in heaven. We know this. Let's not become distracted by the overwhelming noise of the world and not allow ourselves to be drawn out of our silence. And what does this mean? I can't say it's different for every person. Maybe for you, it's that 
uh, unfortunate encounter you had with somebody at work. Maybe it's the argument you had with a spouse. Maybe it's the unfortunate movie that you, you know, spent some time watching or a bad book or a news report that got you particularly discouraged, whatever. All of these things. I'm not saying we should ignore the issues that face us in the world. In fact, we should be well aware of them so that we know what to pray for, but we shouldn't engage ourselves in them. This is what draws us out of silence. And so um, I'm going to suggest now, we've got just a few minutes before we break. Francis, if you wouldn't mind, I know we're going to uh, talk about each of these in some detail. In fact, um, uh, I'm going to want us to go through in the next part of our hour um, to to sort of unearth these, but maybe just to give our listeners a a taste uh, of what we're uh, going to be introduced to, to here. Again, this is Jesus himself speaking, and he says specifically, or um, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified says specifically, Jesus gave me five ways of practicing silence. These are right from the, the very mouth of our Lord, speaking to her while she's in ecstasy, and he um, offers the importance of silence and then offers these models of silence. And Francis, if you wouldn't mind reading at least the first one, we'll see if we have time, but Um, just as an introduction here. All right. The first one is, The day passes away. The night passes noiselessly. They pass in silence. You also must keep silence. Go through your life in silence in order to find joy in heaven. Now, I'm going to challenge our readers in the few minutes that we're going to be away. We take about a five-minute break. Um, Start now. Start in this very hour And I encourage you to try and steal away, perhaps if the radio or wherever you're listening uh, is in a place where you may be um, experiencing a lot of background noise, try to steal away from that. Not certainly if you're listening to us in a moving car, your your options are limited. But um, short of that, try to find a place of silence and practice what Frances just read. And I'm going to ask her to read again uh, so that it begins to become part of uh, our mindset, just like the movie that Francis mentioned can be a negative influence on us. These were intended by the Lord, I believe genuinely to be a positive influence of silence, helping us to get into that state of mind and enter in, as I said earlier, into the imagery, which can then begin to work on the subconscious, which can then begin to work on our spirit. And Francis, if you wouldn't mind uh, reading that again. And and as I read it, just I'm thinking, you know, silence is indicative of a more receptive mode, you know, where we can open for the Lord, make space for him to enlarge our heart. Okay, here it is again. The day passes away. The night passes noiselessly. They pass in silence. You must also keep silence. Go through your life in silence in order to find joy in heaven. Well, we're going to take a a brief break here. And again, I'm going to encourage our listeners, take this next five minutes while we're away. There will be some background music if you're uh, forced to stay in the room where you're listening to us. Uh, That perhaps won't be distracting, but uh, just try to remain in a deep interior silence. Don't let any thoughts from today's activities or whatever may be uh, imposing itself on your mind, your subconscious, don't let them enter in. Practice silence. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria Christian Voice in your home. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to our program, Carmelite Conversations, with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Well, Francis, we're going to continue uh, with these uh, poetic expressions from uh, really the the mouth of our Lord through uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified. Uh, thankfully, she is now acknowledged as a saint, um, the most recent Carmelite saint. Right, a, a year. Great treasure for us. A year as of May. Yeah. Um, and we want to um, uh, just offer a little bit of reflection on what Francis read um, and again, to remind you, she said, the day passes away, the night passes noiselessly, they pass into silence. And Francis, you and I have had this conversation many times about 3 a.m. wake up calls oh, yes. right, from our Lord. Uh, and I encourage you, if you're one of those people in our listening audience who may get that um, uh, periodic or even consistent, as I do, uh, wake up call at 3 a.m., um, assume, if you will, immediately rather that it's from the Lord, um, and that they um, uh, the opportunity has been given for you uh, to pray and to engage our Lord in conversation. You may remain silent; you may choose to listen to Him in silence, uh, but it is an invitation, uh, certainly, to pray. Um, he goes on and says, "Of course, you all you also must keep silence. Go through your life in silence, in order to find joy." In heaven, and isn't it interesting, Francis, that this phrase "silence" apparently leads us to joy? Well, I think of the Book of Revelation, where there was that half hour of silence in heaven, and I think of that of, you know, can you imagine a thirty-minute ah? You know, you know when you see something and you're just flabbergasted. When I saw the uh, Niagara Falls and the power of it, I was just in such awe. And can you imagine that for 30 solid minutes? 
That's what I'm thinking of, and that is joyful. I mean, it's exciting, it's powerful, it's intense, it's dramatic, it's it's all of those things. It's love, 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 love. There may be some in our listening audience, I might be among them some days, that are looking forward to heaven, if for no other reason than that silence that we hear about, that <laughs> we may be able to experience an interior silence again. We'll hear the music and the the beauty of the voices that we'll be singing, but that interior silence, which is really an interior piece, is something we should all be looking forward to. Well, let's move on to this second uh, poetic expression, as I've referred to it, that uh, blessed Saint Mary of Jesus crucified. I don't know why I keep wanting to relegate her to blessedness. Um, uh, heard from our, our Lord. Water springs forth from its source, clear, and it passes out and flows along noiselessly. You must practice silence that way. Well, here we can see the reference to the running streams. And, you know, this is interesting. When we were on our retreat not that many weeks ago, Francis is a couple now, I remember going outside and they had the fountain that was there in the middle of the uh, the quad, if you will. Uh, and I sat and listened to that little running stream. And, of course, anybody who has listened to running water knows there is some a sound associated with it, but it also draws you in, doesn't it? It sort of uh, allows you to uh, enter into the flow of the water. And I think this is what our Lord is referring to here, that we realize that even in our life, we are carried along in this stream. It's a stream of grace, if you will, a stream of mercy, but we are carried along in that stream and we have to allow ourselves to enter into it, not resist it, not reject it, not keep it at arm's length, but rather enter into the flow uh, that the Lord has introduced us to. And we'll find ourselves more often than not uh, being able then to dispense with all of those distractions that seem to uh, barrage us and assault us. I might even use the word uh, throughout the course of our day and the flow of running water I think is a good analogy to this. And also, uh, Francis, this reference to water, so prevalent throughout Scripture, right? We see this so many, uh, so many times uh, throughout Scripture and such, such uh, you know, significant and pregnant uh, meaning associated with the idea of water cleansing, baptism. Living, uh, living water. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the Samaritan exactly woman right. at the well. <laughs> exactly and right. I'm thinking of, of the water that bubbled up um, at Lourdes when Bernadette was digging in the mud, and then all of a sudden this water starts coming up noiselessly, just in little bitty drops. And then now you have this big place where people go to Lourdes to... Uh, healing water, yes, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, the healing yeah. water. So that leads us to the the third uh, point that Jesus gave to Miriam on silence. And this is what he said. When the seeds of plants and rose trees are planted deep in the earth, they offer no resistance. They grow in silence. They do everything silently. Do the same. That has a sense of humility, right? When you get down into the depths of humility, um, hidden deep in the earth, and then, you know, the rays of the sun shine, and and then they just grow. They respond in growth. What do you think, Mark? Well, I I went back to the reference in uh, Mark 4, uh, 26, 27. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seeds on the ground. He sleeps and gets up at night. 
and day and while the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. And this is an example, I think, of our own spiritual journey. You know, we read earlier in the conversation about how the Holy Spirit prays for us. We don't know what is necessarily happening in our interior life. It's not as though we're we're uh, learning mathematical formulas where we can sort of objectively determine what progress we're making in our spiritual journey. I think this is true of the interior life, and it's a good thing. It's actually a way that the Lord protects us from the progress that we are making and not trying to take control of it. Uh, but I think about that seed in, in the gospel reference in Mark. The Lord scatters the graces, and we are to remain silent while he goes about uh, doing his work. Of course, we know a number of references uh, made to this idea of the seed being scattered, the, the need of the seed to die uh, in order for growth to occur. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the idea here of, of plants brings to mind the rosary. I liked the uh, reference to um, they give off their scent in uh-huh. silence, right? right. Uh, and so the rose, Mary, and the rosary, uh, trees are planted deep in the earth. They offer no resistance. They grow in silence. I believe that when we pray the rosary in a meditative way, in a deep contemplative way, it is even a form of contemplative prayer, mm-hmm. the rosary. And I want to strongly, as I so often do, I know you do, Francis, advocate the recitation daily of the rosary. The Blessed Mother tells us this. We ne- We need not... Uh, look for other forms of creative uh, prayer it has been given to us in the rosary. And we should pray the rosary continually. Uh, and we should realize the scent of roses that is so often resent, uh, present rather in, in, in the uh, presence of saints. Uh, this was true for some of our better-known living saints. Padre Pio It was known uh, that he uh, oftentimes carried the scent of roses in, in, in his uh, midst. Uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, who's famously known for leaving roses as a mark of her uh, intervention into our lives. So these are, again, what Francis and I are offering beyond the words of Jesus through uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified, Miriam, um, are our own sort of reflections. It's good to link them to Scripture. You'll note that we've done that on a couple of occasions here. It's always good to link our meditation back to Scripture and to find references from the Gospel from Paul's letters. Uh, but but we're encouraging you as our listeners to think through these poetic expressions of the words silence and how they can translate into your personal life, how they can translate into your prayer life, certainly, but also into the daily events of your life, because that's where silence needs to be practiced. Francis gave reference to um, the experience of encountering a movie which was a distraction for her silence. And this is true of any number of things that we might encounter throughout the day. We have to not allow those things to pull us away from uh, this experience of silence, this experience of solitude, this experience of the Holy Spirit doing a work within us. And best that we do that by relying on Scripture all the time. All right, we're going to go to the fourth point. The grapes let themselves be plucked in silence. They let themselves be thrown into the wine press and be crushed in silence. It is then that the wine is mellow. The good fruit becomes sweet through its silence. Practice silence. Well, you know, here again, I used a biblical reference and I, I, um, 
uh, found this. These just sort of jumped to my mind, and I know you'll have your own, Francis, but uh, my particular one went back to this idea of, yes, uh, getting the land ready, and I'll just read the biblical reference. He plowed its land and cleared it of all the stones. Then he planted it with the choicest vines, built a watchtower in the middle of it, and dug a wine vat in it. He expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only wild ones. And I took that verse because it, it, to me, spoke to this idea that if we're not silent, if we don't practice silence, like this particular uh, poetic reflection uh, reflection of um, St. Mary of Jesus crucified uh, says, then we may be the wild ones. We may be the ones that don't take root. We don't grow well. Uh, We're not contributing to the mellowness of the wine, but in fact, uh, may may contribute to the bitterness of the wine if we don't allow ourselves to um, work with the the master of the vineyard in a way that he wants to work with us. And of course, that means uh, practicing silence. I went to the Eucharist with this one. Um, I don't remember if it's Blessed Elizabeth of Trinity or Teresa of the Andes, but it was uh, a quotation, holy card that said something about being crushed yeah. into a, a host. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking of the Lord here. Um, you know, he was pressed and crushed, but in silence, he did not speak out. Right. And, and, and of course, the wine becoming the good fruit through its silence, um, you know, and and when the anointing, the consecration occurs, you know, it is his blood given for us and how sweet that is for us. So that's kind of where I went with with these grapes. Um, and and we all are are invited to, you know, carry the cross with the Lord. So well, we we oftentimes will be facing that wine press now are we going to kick and scream about it or maybe we should think about how we can imitate the lord in his silence which spoke volumes by the way Mm. well uh, let's move on to the fifth one and this one uh, many carmelites of course will recognize and perhaps draw the same association that i did uh, with regard to this one but let's move on and and see what uh fifth recommendation our lord had through Uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified on how we can practice silence. Imitate the wood. It allows itself to be cut down in silence. It allows itself to be painted any color in silence. It lets itself be burned in silence. Allow yourself to be humbled in silence. Work, suffer, do all in silence. Silence will guard you for heaven. Yeah, there were two things that struck me here. First was this idea that uh, the Lord returned to the idea uh, of uh, our silence guarding us for heaven. I think that was exactly or very similar to the um, expression that we saw in the very first uh, phrase that he used. He said, in silence, in order to find your joy in heaven. And now he says, silence will guard you for heaven. Uh, Reference to the wood uh, for me was obvious when we read about it being cut down and burned. This is St. John of the Cross image of the burning log uh, Mm -hmm. where we are um, at times thrown onto the fire and all the imperfections that are inherent to wood that may have been extracted from uh, from the woods um, are, are initially burned out of the log until 
the coal of the log becomes very much, in fact, exactly like the fire itself. They become one. And this is the image that St. John of the Cross uses with regard to the spiritual journey, our journey through contemplative prayer, how our imperfections are slowly and at times painfully removed through the process of burning. I actually went to a book I read to my kids when they were little. It was called The Giving Tree. Oh, I know. You remember that book? It's a great book. I mean, even for adults. I mean, it just talks about this tree, you know, giving shade and giving fruit and then, you know, uh, being uh, cut down and be uh, a stool that you can sit on and wood for uh, a fire and uh, just all the different things that this tree had become and it was just one gift after another kept giving 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 um it's a beautiful book and so uh i kept thinking yeah it just it just allowed itself to be molded and shaped by god's plan through the creatures acting on it and so it was a beautiful imagery of this being humble and open to god's um plan for us and so um I think it is a good image of, of this silence. So, you know, these are very powerful images, Mark. Um, we've got the day and the night that passes in silence, the water that seeps in silence, the seed that grows in silence, the grapes that are uh, pressed in silence, and then this wood that can be cut down or burned. <clears throat> All of these are wonderful images that... Um, were used in this poetic expression that the Lord had given to Miriam. Of course, Miriam had many um, wonderful poems um, attributed to her through her ecstasies in with the Lord. Um, so, you know, uh, you had suggested uh, to people to maybe adopt one of those images and try to... Um, Adopt the inexpressible, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you wrote, which is good, <laughs> uh, degree of silence found in any of these images. So I want to ask you, how would you do that for yourself? Just pick one of those and just give us a snippet. Yeah, I, I would, um, I, I do write poetry myself, and so I have some um, affinity towards the use of language to help uh, enter into the prayer life. Now, again, I want to uh, caution, as we've spoken many, many times, Ultimately, St. John of the Cross most especially um, advocates that we need to move away from our reliance on images. But this is about entering into prayer, entering into silence. What, as we said earlier, might serve as uh, a vehicle, a gentle breeze to carry our souls into this this open space uh, that the Psalms refer to. Uh, where the Lord can speak to us. And these images help us to do that. So I myself would, for example, draw on the imagery as as um, uh, one of the uh, five of water. And I might go out in nature and try to find a stream or I, if I'm in my you know, sort of prayer space, then I would use that imagery of water. And I would try to say to myself, what is the water? Um, uh, you know, what, what is its meaning? And we talked about some of them, cleansing, healing waters of Lords, um, purifying, the, the purifying, refreshing, exactly. Refreshing in the midst of, of our trials and so forth. We can think about, uh, the, the, the victim on the, the road who's uh, helped, uh, by, you know, being given, uh, water and, and, uh, other forms of sustenance and so forth. So I would try to draw on, this is my encounter with prayer. Prayer is not just this sort of 
um, dogmatic uh, dialogue, meditation, imagery. There's something healing. There's something deeper that I'm being invited to by the Lord. And if the water is the image I choose in this particular uh, explanation, then what is it about the water that carries me into that? And I would let myself reflect on that imagery uh, to the point, frankly, where the other things that had entered in as distractions in my prayer had been released and and had led me into uh, a place of this silence. Now, I may still want to hear the water in the background, but it's done its work, if you will, by carrying me out into the deeper water, and now I can reflect and and just listen to what it is that the Lord might be uh, wanting to say to me. And, of course, St. Teresa of Avila did the very same thing. Uh, She went out and she pondered the element of water and then she was talking about the four uh, ways of water mm-hmm. and, and how that represents four uh, stages of prayer um, it's very beautiful I believe it's in the way of perfection or the book of her life one of those um, but anyways so um, you have a couple more points though that you wanted to make on on science before we we leave this little- well I, I do just quickly on the the previous point I would say some of our listeners are probably sitting there going, well, I don't have an affinity to poetry and I really don't want to be a piece of wood. (laughs) And I get that. Uh, I I would um, just say, you know, God created all of these things that we've just talked about, the grapes, the wood, the water, uh, the seeds, and, and he created us and what he's giving us, what the Lord himself is giving us through St. Mary of Jesus crucified is an image that we can rely on, that we can work with. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. The important point is he's drawing us into silence. For some, those objective 12 steps that we talked about last week, Francis, may work better. Right. Uh, so my my point would be find what works for you. Don't abandon the silence. I'll make two additional points, and that's about the importance of silence and prayer um, and uh, how uh, this has to do with practicing and I would say even at times enduring silence in our prayer. Uh, First, there's no doubt, and all the saints affirm this, that the practice of silence can help us to endure and face much of the doubt and disturbance in our faith life. We respond to catastrophes even with silence. I don't mean a lack of compassion. I simply mean not being drawn out of our interior silence. Equanimity. Equanimity is a good word that describes this. It is a balance regardless of what may be happening in the external uh, environment. And I got to um, practice this recently because uh, as my daughter was going through the surgery, you know, I'm getting nervous about it. And so I'm listening and I'm hearing that word of fear and I'm like, ah, so I got to go the opposite way. So I kept reciting, you know, and pondering God will provide, God will provide. Because as you pointed out, um, by refusing to listen to the voices of fear, anxiety, and trepidation, even the chaos that invades our life, th- this is what silence can do for us. We it'll it'll push those uh, worldly or those voices that want to take us away from the peace that the Lord provides. Yeah, I'm reminded always of the uh, verse from. Uh, First Kings nineteen eleven through twelve, and of course uh, this uh, relies on the um, the experience of uh, that person that we uh, uh, Carmelites look back to as, uh, in many ways, the um, the founder uh, uh, of our order beyond the Blessed Mother, of course. 
Uh, and I'll just read those quickly. Go out, he responded. This is the Lord talking to Elijah. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And there was the Lord passing by. A tremendous, mighty windstorm was tearing at the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces in the presence of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the windstorm. The Lord is never in the windstorm, in the anxiety, in the fear, and the doubt. Remember that. After the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And this is where the Lord is found, in that gentle whisper. The Lord is never trying to make us anxious or fearful. He never brings about doubt uh, or or chaos in our life. He is always found in the gentle whisper. The question is, will we go and seek him there? The second point that I'd like to bring out regarding the role of silence in our prayer is that sometimes, and I mentioned this a moment ago, silence needs to be endured with an incredible amount of patience and simple, quiet persistence. Um, you may recall the book that we talked about last week. I think Francis mentioned it by Archbishop Martinez, When God is Silent. I strongly encourage you, if you're experiencing uh, difficulty in your prayer life, go and listen to that particular podcast of our program on science, not because of what Francis and I said, but because of what Archbishop Martinez had to say about the importance of silence. And just to close, Francis, quickly, um, I'm going to invite you, if you would, Uh, Maybe share some of the uh, references from Carmelite saints on this importance of silence before we close in prayer. Well, starting with John of the Cross, what we need most in order to make progress is to be silent before this great God with our appetite and with our tongue. For the language he best hears is silent love. He also says, it is best to learn to silence the faculties and to cause them to be still so that God may speak. And then this is one of my favorites from St. Therese, the little flower. Frequently, only silence can express my prayer, which reminds me of her definition of prayer where she's talking about a, a gaze toward heaven. You know, it was a silent gaze, but it was pregnant with love, you know, so um, I'm thinking of that. Well, the last... Uh reference to a Carmelite, uh, and I'm going to use again a poetic expression. This is again from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Um, She wrote something about the Blessed Mother that I think is a good model of silence that we can reflect on. It's very simply, it seems to me that the attitude of the Virgin during the month that elapsed between the Annunciation and the the months that elapsed during during the uh, Annunciation and the Nativity is the model for interior souls. Those whom God has chosen to live within in the depths of the bottomless abyss, and I would add here the abyss of silence. Finally, from Psalm 46.10, we read, Be still and know that I am God. Well, we have a closing prayer from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity uh, that I thought would sum this conversation up fairly well. So let us get recollected and pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O loving incarnate word, who once, with one movement of your hand, silenced the winds and calmed the waves on Gennesareth, deign to repeat this action in my soul, so that a great calm, a great silence will reign in it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Well, I remind you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, take some time to practice silence, say your prayers, pray for us, pray for all of our listeners, and may God bless you richly.